Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network comes Gamblers Season 2. Listen now. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. As we get you ready for Monday Night Football, Patriots and the lowly Chicago Bears. How about this? After the way that the season started, the Pats have a chance to get over 500, north of 500 on Monday Night Football. And we'll chat with Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network in just a little bit. So we'll get into this Bears team, which is not a very good team with him in just a little bit. But obviously the biggest news entering this game is Mac Jones. So Mike Reese had the report that he believes that Mac Jones, or Mac himself, I should say, believes he's on track to play. Practices on Thursday, it appears that Mac is going to be out there for Monday Night Football, his first game back since that ankle sprain against the Baltimore Ravens. And this is after Jeff Howe had the report from The Athletic earlier on today that Mac will be the starter when he's healthy. And Everybody kind of knew that that was going to happen, even if we wanted to see Zappy Hour continue. Mac eventually was going to get an opportunity to get his job back. So the Patriots clearly believe in Mac. And from my perspective, this is the perfect game to bring Mac back for. So the Bears, as I just alluded to, are a really bad football team. And if you look at some of their defensive numbers, it works out well for a guy that's coming back from an ankle sprain. They have just 11 sacks on the season, tied for 26 in the NFL. They have just 19 quarterback hits, the fewest in the entire league, and they don't blitz. 26 blitzes on the entire season, which is the fewest in the league. And that's kind of how Matt Eberflus did things when he was the coordinator there in Indianapolis with the Colts. And that's one of the issues that Mac has is against the blitz. He was bad against it last year and this year as well, just 12 of 25, which is 48% with three interceptions and a 32.3 passer rating. Well, it doesn't matter on Monday Night Football because the Bears don't blitz. So this is the perfect game for Mac to come back for. You look at the Bears as well in terms of pro football focuses pass rush grade. They're last in the NFL. So the quarterback knows he's not going to get hit and he's not going to get blitzed. So this is the ultimate soft landing for Mac. Now, 
Their passing numbers aren't bad. They're third in the NFL in terms of passing yards per game, just 178.7. So they're decent there, but it's not as if Mac's going to be under a lot of duress against this team. And the Bears' rush defense blows as well. 163 yards per game they're giving up. 29th in the NFL. They're, in terms of pro football focuses, grade 29th. They're 23rd in rush EPA. So on a per-play basis, they're bad as well. So what this means is the quarterback, whoever it would have been, and as we're telling you, it's going to be Mac. all signs point to that, the quarterback is not going to have a very difficult night against this Bears defense. Ramondre Stevenson is going to be able to carry the low because the Bears cannot stop the run. So it's going to be very easy for the quarterback on Monday Night Football. So the reason I sort of reference these numbers is just to point out what a bad opponent the Bears are and what happens if Mac didn't start this game, right? So let's just go with the hypothetical that he didn't start because it appears, like we said, he's going to start. Bailey Zappi has his fourth consecutive passer rating north of 100, and the team wins its third straight game, and they hop over 500. That makes the move back to Mac a lot more difficult. As much as we want to point to, oh, look at the opponents that Bailey Zappi's playing. It was the Lions. It was the Browns. Now it's the Bears. It makes it awfully difficult to give it back to Mac when your next game is against a Jets team that that turns into a massive game for the Patriots, right? You look at the Jets right now, they're 4-2, and two, and they play the Broncos this Sunday, which is obviously a very winnable game for them. I'm not saying it's a given. Like, the Broncos have a really good defense, and the Jets' offense is not great in terms of the passing game, but we chatted earlier this week with Nora Princiati, and she told us how good that Jets defense has been this season, and it bears out from the numbers. Opponents are scoring on just 31.9 of their drives against the Jets, which is the sixth best in the NFL. They're fifth in pressure rate, 32 quarterback knockdowns, second in the NFL. So bringing back Mac for that game, after if the hypothetical was Bailey Zappi played on Monday Night Football, Mac could look bad in that game. And I'm not saying Bailey Zappi may not look bad in that game either. Either one of the guys could look bad in that game because the reality is the Jets actually have a decent defense this season. In fact, they have a good defense this season. So if you bring back Mac for that game and he sucks, well, then the problem is you have a real quarterback controversy brewing, right? Because the hypothetical is Bailey Zappi has all these good games in a row. You bring out Mac for your division foe and he shits the bet against that team. Well, then it's really bad, right? So if Mac plays well against the Bears and then has a bad game against the Jets, at least you can justify it a little bit because it's like, oh, well, when he did come back for the Bears game, he looked pretty good. And it's just, okay, maybe the Jets actually have a good defense, which I know it's crazy to say, but maybe that is the case, right? And the other component is this is, what if Mac goes out there on Monday Night Football, soft landing as we mentioned, and he plays poorly? Like, Mac's really bad against the Bears on Monday Night Football. Well, then, isn't it an easy decision to go to Bailey Zappi for the next game against the New York Jets? How could you not, right? How could you not look at it and say, well, we have this kid that played really well. We brought back Mac. Mac played really poorly against a bad opponent. We have a huge game against the Jets coming up the following week. Playoff implications at stake. I get it's early on in the season, but the Jets right now look like they're going to be in the mix as well. At least they're going to be competitive for a little bit here. That's a big game. And if Mac Jones looks bad on Monday Night Football, well, guess what? It's going to make life a lot easier for Bill Belichick to go back to Bailey Zappi. All right. The other reason it makes sense to bring Mac back for this game, I do think it sort of makes him look tough, right? Where it's like, 
the original timeline was four to six weeks. And Mac is almost going to be at exactly four weeks, right? I mean, think about it. It's going to be four weeks in a day because he got hurt in that game against the Baltimore Ravens. Not that the team doesn't think he's tough, but I do think it helps him in terms of that capacity that look how quickly Mac got back from the injury, et cetera. But I'll say this about Mac. He better play well in this game. He better play well in this game because the reality is what we did learn is right now the Patriots have a nice fourth round quarterback that played really well for them that didn't fuck anything up, that did exactly what the coaching staff asked. So if Mac is not good in this game on Monday night, wouldn't be surprised to see Bailey Zappi play against the New York Jets. And you may say, oh, that sounds hyperbolic. Well, the reality is Mac Jones was not good through the first three games of the season. Bailey Zappi has been good. And if Mac plays poorly, how do you not entertain putting Bailey Zappi back in? All right, the other question we have about this game is, well, what we've seen with Zappi is the Patriots have done a really good job scheming things up, right? And to Max defense, and we've mentioned this before, but to Max defense, they didn't really do that for him. And that's not defending Mac playing really poorly in the first three weeks. But will the Patriots start to run a similar offense with Mac Jones to the one they've been running with Bailey Zappi? Because it's been two different Patriots offenses in terms of the Mac offense and the Zappi offense. We've Outline the play action before. Zappi, 31.6% of his dropbacks in play action. Max at 10.8. Lowest rate of any qualified starting quarterback. How about the screens? Mac, 6.3% of his passing attempts, dropbacks have been screens. Only five quarterbacks are at a lower rate. If you look at Zappi, he's at 18.4% of his dropbacks in terms of screens. And... That's second among quarterbacks that have had at least three starts. So, ton of screens for Zappi, like no screens for Mac. And how about this? 20-plus yard passes, 8.6% for Bailey Zappi. Only five players throwing less than that. How about Mac? 20.6% of his passing attempts are at least 20 air yards. Highest rate in the entire NFL. So, Bailey Zappi not throwing the ball down the field. Mac throwing the ball down the field all the time. So will the Patriots run the, for lack of a better term, the Bailey Zappi offense for Mac? Because Mac can thrive in that type of offense. So I am interested to see if they actually do it with Mac. Because if they don't, I'm going to lose my mind during the Monday night game. If they're not doing the stuff that worked for Zappi and use that stuff with Mac. All right. So that's the biggest juicy nugget entering the game is the Mac Zappi thing. And I really don't think we're going too overboard or going too nuts to say, This is a massive game for Mac Jones because of what his now understudy did. But I do want to move on to something else offensively in this game. I want to see what they're going to do with Tyquan Thornton moving forward. And we jumped on the show right after the game on last Sunday with James White. I was really excited with the run that Thornton had. But I was looking at this like in terms of just the usage, right? So right when he got in the game, there was a clear emphasis to get him the ball after Bourne went down with the toe injury. He had three carries in that game. But if you look at his numbers, and granted, small sample size, right? He's only played in two games. But if you look at the average depth of target, it's 8.5 yards. Okay, well, you compare that to the rest of the Patriots receivers. Bourne's at 11.7. Aguilar is at 13.1. Parker, we know that deep threat, 17.8. And Myers at 11.3. So he's significantly further down than those guys are. Not giving you much yak yet, but I expect that'll change because of the speed, etc. But I'm starting to get really big thoughts 
on what Tyquan Thornton could mean for this offense this year and going into the future. I am very excited about this because I was looking at, if you look at a guy like Jalen Waddell, for example, he's at 10.9 yards in terms of the average depth of target. So less than all those Patriots receivers with the exception of Tyquan Thornton. Tyree kills at 10.5. Not to compare the players, but I'm just talking about the player type. Waddle, by the way, insane. 7.8 yak per reception. Debo Samuel, if you look at him, the A dot is at 6 yards. So these guys that are super fast receivers and super athletic, super shifty receivers, all these guys, the A dot is down. And like Debo Samuel, 10.1 yak per reception. I mean, the guy's out of this world great, right? But I'm looking at Tyquan Thornton saying, is this the way, and we've already seen it, like he's getting the ball on jet sweeps, is actually this the way they're going to use Tyquan Thornton, where they feel like this is how we get the most out of the player. Because if you look at the collegiate level, he was getting down the field. The dot was at 15.4, the average depth of target compared to this year, of course, what we just said, it's south of nine. So this is where it's interesting going forward, where they have this toy, they have this super fast guy. And now that we've seen how they've used him, and I get it, small sample size and all that, but they're getting him the ball quickly, and they're wanting him to create after he gets the ball in his hands. So, like, we thought when you drafted Tyquan Thornton, maybe not all of us, but you looked at it, you said, well, maybe is he like a Deshaun Jackson type speed get down the field? No. The way that the Patriots want to use him is similar to Jalen Waddell, is similar to, now not the same amount of carries, obviously he's not a big guy, but Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill, get him the ball quickly, and allow him to make plays. Let that 4-2-8 speed get out there in space. So I am awfully excited about that. Okay, the other thing that jumps out to me is looking at the difference between these two organizations, right? And I was worried in the offseason about, hey, do they have enough around Mac Jones? Will they make life easier for the quarterback? Now, what we found out is they didn't make life easier for Mac schematically through the first three games, but... They have for Bailey Zappi. So I am encouraged about that. And like we said earlier, hope that is the case going forward in this game against the Bears. And I also love the Thornton pick. We were just talking about him. So they did give him more weapons, giving Mac more weapons. You look at the Patriots, they do have a really good offensive line, right? Fifth and pass block grade, seventh and run block grade. And you look at the Bears, they're 27th in pass block grade, right? So the Patriots have put themselves in a much better position to succeed with a young quarterback Really good offensive line. Now digging into some of the play action and that type of stuff that helps out the quarterback. And they drafted a receiver relatively early in the second round in Taekwon Thornton. You look at this Bears team. Their number one receiver is Darnell Mooney. He has 17 receptions on the season. That's tied for 58th in the NFL. Their leading receiver in terms of receptions is 58th in the NFL. Okay? They don't have a guy in the top 30 in the entire league. They don't have a guy in the top 50. Their second leading receiver is Dante Pettis. Forgot this guy was even in the league. Five receptions for a buck 30, uh, 135 yards. That's it. So they don't have protection for the young quarterback. They don't have weapons for the young quarterback. And Fields hasn't been good, but they're not putting him in a position to succeed, right? You look at Fields, some of the things that he has really ugly numbers. Time to throw, 3.03 seconds. Only Zach Wilson holding on to the ball longer. He's in massive trouble against this Patriots team if he's going to do that. Completion percentage, last in the NFL, 54.8. 144.8 yards per game, last in the NFL. Think about that, 144 yards a game. His rating is at 72.7. Only Baker and Kenny Pickett are worst. 63 completions on the season. 
last among quarterbacks to play at least six games. Think about this. This guy has played in six games. He has 63 completions. Mac has played in three games, and he has 64 completions. He's also responsible for 16 pressures tied for the most with Lamar Jackson. He's responsible for five sacks as well, which is the most of the NFL. So, yes, Justin Fields has not played well, but just juxtapose the organizations to have a young quarterback. The Bears have done an awful job with Justin Fields. All right, one other quick note, Patriots-related, is the Ben Volan situation at the Globe. So he goes on NBC Sports Boston earlier in the week. He has this big take about Mac needed to be humbled after making the Pro Bowl. He actually referenced that he did the gritty in the game as part of the reason he needed to be humbled and that he made the top 100. So he put it out there like, oh, Mac needs to be humbled. Uh, I'm sure you saw the clip. It was everywhere by now. So then he goes on to say, well, he attended a prep school and then Alabama won the national championship. And then he came to New England, went 10 and 7. Everyone's calling him the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I don't think that was the case whatsoever. People liked Mac, but nobody's like, oh, this is the next... Tom Brady. But nonetheless, I mean, he basically said that he needed to be humbled, which was a ridiculous take. So then he goes on the Greg Hill show on WEI, my old station. He said, quote, someone reached out to my DMs and said Mac's attitude problem in the building is obvious and everyone knows it. Okay, so right after that, they press him on it and they ask him, you got a DM from someone on the beat or someone that covers the Pats? He said, no, not someone that covers the Patriots. So basically indicating like some inside source or whatever. He then goes on to say, I wouldn't call it a report. Someone else chiming in with an opinion. Do with it what you want. Call it a report. I'm not going to splash it on the pages of the Boston Globe. So first of all, he's saying this on EEI, but he's saying he wouldn't write it. So why would you say it if you wouldn't write it? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So then he was asked again about an attitude adjustment. Is it somebody that would know? And he says yes. So he's basically saying he gets these DMs where they're backing his take from NBC Sports Boston that Mac needs an attitude adjustment. Okay. So then here are the DMs. So then it gets out there yesterday. The guy that sent him the DMs puts it out there. Buddy works over at Gillette selling season ticket packages. He heard that they went with Hoyer over Zappi against Green Bay initially to appease Mac, whose camp made it very clear that he didn't want Zappi to jump in. Thought I'd pass it along, so hashtag haters get off your back. <laughs> That's what this guy said to Volan on the DM. Volan says, interesting. Appreciate the tip. Guy goes on to say in the DMs, no problem, man. It's clear as day. Mac has an attitude problem, and even folks in the building see it daily. Okay, so a couple of problems here. First of all, in the DM, the guy says, my buddy works at Gillette selling season ticket packages. So this is a secondhand source anyway. And how the fuck would a guy that worked in the ticket office have this information about Mac to begin with? And this isn't even a guy pretending to be somebody with the Patriots organization. He's removed from it. He's saying my friend works selling season tickets. He doesn't even say like he has some role with the Patriots. He doesn't even pretend to be anybody. He just says he knows somebody in the season ticket office. And the problem for Volan is he basically said exactly what the DM said, where at the end of the DM... He says, no problem, man. It's clear as day. Mac has an attitude problem. And even folks in the building see it daily. That's what he said on the Greg Hill show. So he basically just took this DM. So then the guy yesterday, or I should say the guy on Wednesday, puts it out there. Yeah, I did. I made this up to see if he was really this stupid. And I cannot believe he ran with this. Referring to Volan. So this is what the guy tweeted. I put this out there. 
I made it up to see if he was really this stupid. I can't believe he ran with it. So those DMs were now all over social media. People are writing stories about this. And this is what Ben Volan said on the air. And this was word, basically word for word from the DM that this guy just completely made up. And he actually went on the air with it. Okay, so then Thursday morning, Volan tweets, Hey, everybody, just wanted to acknowledge that I made a mistake Wednesday on EEI. I should have not spoken of the DM without vetting it first. No excuses. It won't happen again. I appreciate the feedback and comments I've received. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh, but I don't know how we went with this. This guy was a nobody. He said he knew somebody that sold season tickets. That's all he said. It was a secondhand source to begin with. And he actually put this out there and he actually said it on the air. Like, this is completely idiotic. I cannot believe, I cannot fathom that he actually went with this story and actually said it on the air. It is baffling to me. And here's the thing that sort of irritates you about the tweet that Volant sends out. Where's the apology to Mac? Right? I mean, you just eviscerated this guy's character. You said that he needed an attitude adjustment. And you said that people in the building, you heard it from a source through your DMs, that Mac needed an attitude adjustment. And it was all fake. The guy completely made it up. And there's no apology in here to Mac Jones. I mean, it's perplexing to me that Mac isn't in the apology. And the more shocking thing to me, I cannot believe it. I really cannot believe that he went with this story and then he got completely burned less than 24 hours later. Like, how how would you not? And he says he's going to vet the source. What do you mean? It's not even a source. It's a guy that knows somebody, apparently, who is faking anyway. He knows somebody in the ticket office. I mean, I cannot believe this actually happened. I mean, absolutely stunning. Unbelievable. All right, coming up next, we'll preview this game with Jason Goff from the Full Go podcast. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the Full Go podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, it is Jason Goff. Goff, thanks for taking some time, man. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. I'll be in the house for the next few days as is because I, I finally got caught down by the old COVID bug. So uh, oh. I'll be I, I'll be sitting here zooming it up for the <laughs> for the foreseeable future. But I, I appreciate you uh, having me on. And congratulations, by the way, man. This, this is a big deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. And appreciate you playing Hurt, man. So this is your wow. first time, the the first time you got it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. I've been uh, I've been dodging and ducking it for a while, but you know, a couple of couple of weddings and in the city of New Orleans in one weekend and do it to you. So I uh, got off the plane on Monday not feeling my best and then uh, you know, the last couple of days have been a little hectic, but back back at it, you know, nothing that uh Watching, you know, the first season of Black Mirror and a whole bunch of Uber Eats can uh, cure. You feel me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, the worst part is like, so the first time I had it was like at the beginning. I've had it twice at the beginning, like the whole thing, which kind of stunk because I was like, you know, I was pretty sick for like a week or so. But yeah, then the second, was... yeah, that was 
that was like the first, the original COVID was like no joke. But the second one, like I had Omicron like last January, I was sick for like a day and a half. So the worst part about that one, I'm sure you're going through it right now, is you can't leave. I mean, that's the worst part. Like you're feeling better. It's just like you got to stay in your house. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. All I'm doing now is I'm taking the dogs out for a walk around the block, and it's already getting cold here in Chicago, so they know, hey, <laughs> we take two steps out into that, that grass over there, do your thing, come back in, and, and wait for the next delivery. Although, I feel like we might make something to eat tonight. I'm feeling like there's some chili on deck or something happening. So, we'll, we'll, we'll find, we'll find our, our, our way throughout these, you know, these COVID streets for the next couple of days. Yeah, no doubt. So, hey, let's move to the Bears because yeah. big, huge Monday night football game, Patriots and Bears, two like big franchises in the NFL. So I want to get your take on Justin Fields first, right? Because it felt like watching from afar last year, like the criticism was mainly on the organization, the coaching staff for his for him not playing at a high level mm-hmm. or anything along those lines. But has any of that changed? Like, has there been more negative stuff with Fields or is it still mainly the organization putting him in a re- really bad spot? I think everybody's in the crosshairs right now when it comes to the Justin Fields situation, including Justin Fields, right? Like, if I, from from the, the end of the offseason, once you realize, okay, this is the team that they're taking to training camp, I mean, when you go in your first couple of picks as the new general manager, new regime, new front office, new era of Chicago Bears football with a quarterback that somebody else drafted, might I add, uh, and you draft a safety in a corner, it kind of tells you, where their thoughts are to me. Uh, and, mm. and, you know, talking about the Patriots uh, on Monday Night Football, you know, Tyquan Thornton was one of those guys who Bears fans kind of, you know, Sky Moore, a couple of dudes who were in that second-round range that people thought, okay, uh, well, you're going to put uh, a wide receiver out there with him alongside Darnell Mooney, who we're finding out now is not a number one, right? At this point in his career, maybe ever. But right now he's not making the plays that a number one has to make. Uh, you dropped the ball in the end zone last week. I mean, there, there's certain things in not getting open enough. The target's not am- amassing. So, um, you know, and some of it's on Justin Fields too, right? Like the 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 length at which he holds the ball, and it's all it all has to do with everything else, right? You know, it's the ultimate team game. So if one guy or two guys are doing something wrong on play, play is going to fail. And and we've seen a lot of that. The the failure of this passing game has been a group effort. It hasn't just been Justin Fields. And if you want to put a lot of it on Justin Fields, that's fine. Uh, but it, in the end, the development of another quarterback, I think Bears fans, we got kind of got PTSD with this thing, where it's, it's another guy who you've got high hopes for, who you see glimpses of and go, okay, this, this is sustainable if he can continue to do this. But the talent around him doesn't allow for uh, the continuance of productive play. Um, you know, defensively, They've got, you know, a team that in the second half has turned into a different defense seemingly every game since week two. Uh, And Allen Williams has made the quote-unquote good halftime adjustments. But offensively, this team, you know, they're they're going to be under 16 more times than they are over 16, which you can't win football games that way. And running the football, Khalil Herbert is, I believe, tops in the NFL with the minimum rushing attempts and yards per carry. So he's running the football with a different kind of zeal and nature. But, you know, David Montgomery has always been a steady, reliable dude, made a couple of big plays uh, in the Washington game. It's just putting this game game plan together, Luke Getze being more coordinated in his sequencing of plays and understanding that Justin Fields, I think, is a better running quarterback than they give him credit for. Like, I think they've tr- tried to treat him like, Russell Wilson and some of these guys who can run and, and instead of treating him like a dude who he, he should run, 
right? If he's going to take a lot of the punishment that he's taking, and you, you'll see it uh, on Monday night. I mean, he's going to take a couple of big hits because in the drop back game, he's scrambling and getting out and trying to just move the chains. Whereas if I think they put a couple more um, direct runs, right, and go to the Josh Allen playbook where, okay, you know where you're going and where the hit should be coming from and when to, to deliver the blow, I think it'll, it'll, better, um, it, it'll prove better for Justin Fields. It's just – he hasn't he hasn't had the rhythm that you'd like to see him have this far this far in his career. He's he started 16 games now and he's up to 11 touchdowns, 15 interceptions with like a 70 something uh, passer rating, which I think is pretty decent for the amount of talent that he has around him. But then there's throws that the great ones don't miss, where you're like, okay. How many of these do you have to see before you have to recalibrate that floor? So I think everybody in Chicago right now is trying to figure out how much they want to put on the kid, how much they want to put on the front office. And in the end, you've got the youngest roster in the league, uh, one of the four or five worst rosters in the league, and you're trying to figure out if a quarterback of the future is on the team. It's, it's It's a precarious position to put on an offense right now. Yeah, I mean, I really liked him coming out of Ohio State. Now, mm-hmm. granted, I only watched like the big games, like the games he played against Clemson. I mean, the guy was awfully impressive. But it does seem like, from what you're saying, this is like highly dysfunctional. So, what I don't, so like, right, so it doesn't feel like the new front office wanted the quarterback. To your point, and then why would you then let the old front office, Ryan Pace, et cetera, who drafted Mitchell Trubisky? Why would you allow them to make that draft pick, which, of course, you had to give up capital to? Like, that to me is the – if you were already thinking maybe we have to move on from Ryan Pace, why let him make that type of pick? That to me is just, like, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, Brian, you think about it, Ryan Pace didn't just do that. I mean, he moved up to get Leonard Floyd. He he moved draft picks to to get Khalil Mack, right? Like, the Oakland Oakland now Las Vegas Raiders have a lot of players, you know, whether it be Josh Jacobs or Jonathan Abrams and a couple other picks – who they got for the Khalil Mack trade. Khalil Mack is now in Los Angeles with the Chargers. So there were a lot of things that led up to that moment, and it was a last gasp effort of, okay, do we keep this guy? Can he get the quarterback position right? I mean, you got Nick Foles, you got Andy Dalton, you got all these dudes that didn't work out in Matt Nagy's offense because Matt Nagy was trying to fit personnel into his style instead of putting his style around the personnel, which is what real coaches do, really good coaches, I should say. Uh, And in this moment... You're left with a guy who everybody around the league thought was one of the more pro-ready quarterbacks, right? When we talked about Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields was right in there in terms of, okay, you, you slot this guy in, year and a half or so of growing pains, and you're off and running. Problem is, you don't know when that year and a half can really start because game to game, it's a, it's a hell, quarter to quarter, it's a referendum on his mental uh, ability, his his uh, anticipation, you know, not on his toughness because he's taking more hits than any quarterback in the league. And some of that's on him and some of that's on uh, the inadequacies of the offensive line. It's just it's just a jumble situation, which unfortunately, you know, this is a franchise who celebrated linebackers for the last 50 years, right? And yeah. and you show me a, a franchise that has done that, that has had sustainable success offensively or championship <laughs> success, then I'll show you a team that, you know, a fan base actually that's doing things the wrong way. It's the most important position in sports. And the Bears haven't gotten it right. You're just hoping that maybe with some breakthrough or some scheming up of things. Like, that's why Luke Getze was brought in too, right? Like, everything that you saw with Aaron Rodgers, you, you, you realize that, Players get coaches' jobs, 
quite often, right? You look at the Ray Lewis tree with Rex Ryan and Marvin Lewis and all these other dudes. Hell, you look at Aaron Rodgers. He's got Nathaniel Hackey right now in Denver doing what he's doing, and he's got Lou Getze in Chicago doing what he's doing. So some of this has to be schemed up. Uh, a lot of it has to be schemed up because they don't have the raw materials, and right now they're having a hard time doing that, having a hard time keeping the quarterback upright, and especially a young one at that. So um, I, I don't think this week is going to be any different against the, the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football, especially when Bill Belichick goes on a seven-minute rant about a team that's this bad. Yeah, you know, you know hell's coming to breakfast on Monday night. Yeah, when Bill starts like hyping up guys like that, you know that yeah. you know, there, there's not much to worry about yeah. in the game. That's what he does. Like he, he'll, yeah, he talked about DeAndre Houston Carson, I think, for two minutes. I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute, any on special teams? Like, is he even going to get playing time? Like, but Bill did his thing. He, he softened him up. He found a way to hype up the Colts in the year that Curtis Painter was like running or whoever it was running out of the end zone for that team. He found a way to hype that up. He referenced like Dwight Freeney was still on the team. It's like, Bill, they haven't had a win all season, but he has a he has a good ability to be able to do that. So how about on the other side? Right. Because Matt Eberflus came over from the Colts and I know their rush defense has been really bad. The pass numbers Mm -hmm. aren't bad, but it's not like they're not getting to the quarterback at all. I know that they have the fewest blitzes in the entire league. Is there anything to worry about on that end from a Patriots perspective? Because the Patriots do have, in in my opinion, one of the best running backs in the league in Stevenson. I mean, do you see him running all over this Bears defense? Yeah, I mean, if, if the results from the previous weeks are an indicator, then the Patriots running game should be the reason why they have a comfortable lead and let their defense pin its ears back and go get Justin Fields. Uh, I, I don't the issue that the Bears are having is in the first half defensively. Because in the second half of these games, Allen Williams and that crew have been able to lock down whatever problems they've had and, you know, kept the game close. I mean, the Bears have only been out of one of these games so far this year, and that was the Packers game where it felt like, okay, this thing is put to bed. You don't have to really worry about this anymore. But other than that, and, you know, competition matters as well, but they've been hanging tough in every one of these games. That 49ers game, even in the monsoon and the tsunami, whatever you want to call it, that defense – uh, the defense bowed his neck against a, a team that brought back its starting second-string quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. All of a sudden, you're out there playing against them, and Roquan Smith was earning his money that he wants in the in the upcoming offseason. Like, all those things have been happening. They've just been waiting for the second half to happen. If you're going to jump on the Bears, it has to be in the first half. Uh, the secondary is, strangely enough, uh, a lot of questions coming into this year. Secondary has been the best unit uh, by far. Uh, Eddie Jackson has played with that big playability that we saw two years ago. Been, you know, he went 30, some, 30 games, I believe, without a turnover forced, uh, which is a lot for a safety, especially in a league that throws the ball as much as the NFL does nowadays. And the two young players that they've implemented into that secondary, and Kyler Gord, who a lot of people thought coming off of that Indianapolis experience, Matt Eberflus would kind of give that Kenny Moore kind of designation to. It's like, okay, you're the slot corner, you know, toughest position to play these days where you got the two-way goes and you might go up against the safety. You got to come off and blitz. Seemed like Kyler Gordon early on in the season was figuring things out like a rookie should, but the last couple of games he's made more and more plays, not just in the run game but in the pass game. And Jaquan Brisker is a missile, right? Like he's around the football. So – that secondary and Kendall Vildor, who's been a butt of a lot of jokes for the last couple of years, made back-to-back plays in back-to-back weeks. So um, that, that secondary has been good. They don't blitz, and I think that's because they thought they would get more pressure with four. Uh, Robert Quinn has not been what we saw last year, which is a guy who set the Bears' single-season sack record with 18 and a half. And it's not, I don't think, from what I've seen, 
It's not that he's getting doubled or anything more. He's just not winning one-on-ones for whatever reason this year. Uh, Travis Gibson has flashed uh, like we thought he would, coming off a spot play a little bit last year at that other defensive end slash edge rusher position. But this defense is about Roquan Smith in the secondary. Uh, if, if Roquan Smith is making tackles five yards and in, it, you're going to win. Roquan Smith is making it tackles eight yards down the field and getting caught in screen game like he has been a couple of times this year and also trying to navigate where young guys should be behind him. Uh, then, then you know, Bailey Zappi and the boys might have a good time. But first half is when you got to get off if you're going up against this Bears defense because if you force this offense to be one-dimensional, then it's, it's going to be a long game. Yeah, hey, so you mentioned Robert Quinn there and how he wasn't having a great season after a good one last year. And Bill, of course, hyped him up this week saying he's one of the best defensive linemen of his era. I'm wondering, from your perspective, do you see him like if he because obviously the Patriots, it appears they're going to be buyers like they could use another linebacker. They could also use a pass rusher on the other side of Matthew Judon. I don't think it's a coincidence that Bill's saying this about Robert Quinn. Do you think with yeah. a fresh start, he could be rejuvenated? Like, have you seen any, like, zap of athleticism? Does he just look older? No, you know what's crazy? Uh, his his Bears career, Bears tenure, has kind of been weird. He got hurt, and he didn't really perform. And then last year, off-the-charts kind of performance, where it's like, okay, the, the 18 and a half sacks didn't belie how much pressure this dude was actually getting. Like, he was crushing the pocket and that was with Khalil Mack on the field Khalil Mack off the field didn't matter uh this year I don't know if it's a get off thing I don't know what's happening I don't know if he's he's hurt obviously he came into this year wanting a new deal after the season that he had last year and just hasn't the plays haven't come together has he been around the quarterback sure but to the to the frequency that you would like to see, no, you know you, you often wonder sometimes does a guy need another guy on the other side of the ball? Make sure he's not singled up. Make sure he's not getting chipped. From what I'm seeing, and I could be wrong, but from my what I, my eyes tell me, I don't see him getting chipped a whole lot. I don't see him getting doubled a whole lot. It's just simply for whatever reason, you know, you you, you get rhythm pass rushers. He hadn't got into one of those two sack one game, one sack the next game, three sacks the game after that kind of rhythm. He hadn't got into that that flurry of sacks or flurry of pressures rhythm. Maybe it happens this week, although, you know, that that left side of that line, you know, with, uh, with this, the young boy's name, Strange, Cole Strange, who uh, they're starting at left guard. Like, I, I look to see them try to, you know, emphasize and try to show him some looks he probably hasn't seen yet because everything's new to him. So maybe some tackle in stunts. You know, Justin Jones has played pretty good on that line. Angelo Blackson's played decently enough, but these guys aren't game changers, right? Robert Quinn is expected to be that guy. So if if the Patriots are looking for an edge rusher, this is a guy who's played in the four three. This guy's played in three four. And, you know, if if they're in that position to where nobody knows what the AFC is and they might be uh, a dark horse contender, then, yeah, I, I think he could provide some value. But being the number one pass rusher, I think even last year was asking too much of him and he performed to that level. I just don't know if you can continuously ask him, him to do that, and especially to the season start that he's had this year. I don't know if he's expected to be that guy that he was last year. Yeah, I'm getting ideas now because they got Judon, of course, who's a really good pass rusher. Dietrich yeah. Wise has been getting after the quarterback, and if you put Quinn on the other side, maybe he gets refreshed if he gets here. Yeah. So I wanted to mention the Fields-Mac thing because a lot of people here actually were like, okay, yeah, we'd like Fields, and when they Bears jumped the Patriots in the draft, people were, some people were upset. Some people really liked Mac because of the Alabama and Nick Saban connection, but has there been any of that narrative there where, hey, they should have taken Mac over Fields? No. No, I mean Bears fans. Bears fans were ecstatic 
<laughs> when when they moved up to take Justin Fields. I know I was. Um, you know, the Mitchell Trubisky thing is going to be fresh in Bears fans' minds. And, hell, any quarterback, whether it be Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman, right, K. McDown, like – Bears fans have been waiting for this, the most important position in sports, to be filled with some adequacy or some legitimacy for any period of time. There's been stop gaps, you know, the most most impressive talent-wise Bears quarterback maybe that, that we've seen is in recent memory is in Jay Cutler, right? <laughs> so years and years and years of trying to figure out the position is the reason why, uh, you know, this team has floundered and not had any sustained success. There's been one-off years, 08, you know, 2018, years like that. But other than that, offensively, this thing has been a quagmire because they haven't fi- figured out that position. So Justin Fields, I I, I was all in. And, and and I'm still, I'd say I'm about 60, 65% in still. Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm still there. Uh, you know, because, B, this can't be all on him. And, and I know the things that are on him, and I tweet about them every time they happen. Let go of the football, son. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't remember if it was a Cosby routine or all of the Bill Cosby show when Rudy was playing football for the first time with Bud. It's like, hey, they don't want you. They want the ball. <laughs> right? And, and Justin Fields does not understand at this point in his career. They don't want you, brother. They want the ball. And they come in with uh, you know, a, 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 a veracity that he doesn't understand. And he's taking some hits, right? So his anticipation, um, I think he even mentioned his internal clock getting sped up, which is something that you never want to hear a young quarterback say because it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to bring that back, right? It's easier yeah. to push that forward than to bring uh, slow that down, and it's just his trust. It's his trust in the offensive line. He's getting pushed up the middle, which any quarterback, you know, you know hell, Tom Brady, all those years in New England, you get him pushed up the middle, it's going to be problems no matter how great he was. You're getting that to a, a, a guy who's just completing his 16th start in his NFL career, and he's consistently had that. So, like, he's he's getting used to living in passing poverty pretty much, right? Like, And then who's he throwing to? Like, Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet are supposed to be better football players than they are right now, but is that because of the quarterback situation? Is that because of the offensive line? So, you know, Mac Jones got dropped into a sturdy – um, manageable enough situation with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick where there was only going to be certain things that fell through the cracks and his talent was going to show you what's falling through the cracks. Whereas with Justin Fields, it's like maybe his talent is making up for a lot of the bullshit that's running around here on this field. Like he's throwing the special teamers, dog. Like Amir <laughs> Smith-Marset just got cut. This guy was in two pivotal plays after losing the Minnesota Vikings game in the, in the Washington Commanders game. So – you know, and Cole Komet has not progressed the way that you'd like to see him. Darnell Mooney is not a number one at this point in his career. Maybe he will be. My guess is he'll be a number two at best, which is no slight. It's just sometimes that's where fifth-round picks slot in. Sometimes they turn into Stephon Diggs. Sometimes they turn into Darnell Mooney. And that's okay, right? The dude had 90 catches last year. So the fact that he's not on pace with him after working so well with him um, – there's, there's just a lot of things right now. This, this offense is just way too dysfunctional to evaluate anything. And that's the problem that I'm having as a fan is when are we going to get a chance to evaluate something besides a final score, right? Because even if they win or lose games against the Commanders or the Vikings or the Packers or whoever else is on the damn schedule or with the Patriots, they can lose 35-12 to 12 against the Patriots on Monday Night Football. I want to know what I'm evaluating, though. I want to know why you're losing that way, what can be cut out, what should be accentuated. 
And five, six weeks into the season, we're still asking the same questions. So if we're doing that outside the building, I can only imagine what's happening inside the building to the kid that's taking these shots and also not making some good decisions as well. Well, Goff, I'll tell you this. I feel a lot better about the Patriots on Monday night after having, the, <laughs> after having this conversation with you. Like, yeah. I, I, I feel you like hit a fan duel early, huh? Yeah, this, this exactly. This is this. I feel the most confident I felt all season long, getting ready Damn. for this. Like, I feel re- I feel really good about this game. But how about your Bulls, man? Because I there was oh, a game man. last year. I'm sure you remember this, where the Celtics had this massive lead against the Bulls and they gave it up. I mean, when that happened here, that was like. All anybody talked about the next two days is the Celtics because they kept blowing these leads. They couldn't finish games. And then, as we all know, the Celtics, the second half of the season, they completely turned it around. They go to the NBA Finals. But it felt like with the Bulls, at one point, they had the number one seed. I get it was early on. But then they started having all these injuries, right? The Lonzo Ball situation. Caruso went down last year. And now to start this year, Lonzo Ball is dealing with something. And Zach Levine is missed the opener and he's going to miss another game as well. So, I mean, I'm hoping he's going to be available Monday night to see him play against the Celtics. But what's sort of the ceiling with this Bulls team? Are they a team that could win a first round playoff series? Like, should the Celtics be worried about them in a postseason series? Right now, no. Um, And that's uh, understanding that the Celtics have their own issues with Robert Williams as well. I mean, you know, it's a different team when Robert Williams is not on the floor. We saw that last year. I think if Robert Williams is healthy, I think they beat the Warriors, to be honest with you. I thought the Celtics were going to beat the Warriors going into that series last year, but that was just you know me trying to be the long shot dude and then say, hey, pat me on the back, so look how smart I am because I've said a lot of dumb shit, you know, and I will continue to say a lot of dumb shit. I just need every once in a while for there to be a win. Yeah, well, uh, I said I said during the series the Warriors were done after it well, was two one. We, yeah, we we said that like two years leading up to that, a year before that, you know, during that series, and of course the Warriors came back and they got their comeuppance, you know, shout out to them and all, but. I, I the, the Bulls I think the Bulls can be anywhere from the 6 seed to a play in no yeah from the yeah, high end the 5th or 6 seed to a play in team you know um they could be 9 or 10 uh, how this team defends uh this season hinges on how they're going to defend and now that we've got this Zach Levine piece where you know, we, we thought he would miss back-to-backs, you know, certain games where you're going to take some of that time off to, to manage that knee surgery, right? Not even knee injury right now, but knee surgery. Then you find out that he just didn't hoop this offseason after the surgery. So not having any five-on-five pounding on that knee and then using training camp and using preseason to actually be the first time. Like, they're just, they're just now ramping up his body. So – these are the times where he would have been off for a few days in the offseason, right? Or he, you know, laid in bed or stayed on the couch or, you know, hung out with his newborn and his new wife, you know, like those things. But now it's the NBA season. So, you know, it's not just you, you missing a Wednesday night of practice or a Wednesday night workout. You're missing a game against the Miami Heat on the season opener. Um, Bulls fans have a right to be uh, questionable and skeptical of what this management issue may be throughout the season. It's a lot of money on the table. There's a lot of expectations. You know, I, I caution fans as often as I can. And just because somebody get money don't mean that they're going to be any different. And that's not a knock. It's just expecting Zach Levine to be better than he has been over the last couple of years. Yeah, you should expect the small tweaks 
right? Like I expect him to be a better defender, a better playmaker. But now you got to factor in what he's going to be through the first month and a half, two months of the season while they're trying to figure out this knee because he just didn't put any work in on it after the surgery, right? So now you've got DeMar DeRozan, who's expected to be Houdini in moments where he was Houdini last year, but it was like, okay, this is what it is. Not knowing when you're going to have Zach and knowing that you're not going to have Lonzo Ball puts, uh, I think, an uh, unsustainable amount of offensive pressure on DeMar DeRozan, which is why Ayo DeSumo playing the way that he's played and played in game one um, is uh, a godsend. Like, you can talk about draft picks, and then you can talk about dudes who actually impact teams. Like, waiting for prospects is one. Like, the Warriors are waiting for James Wiseman, but they don't have to really press it, right? They're waiting mm-hmm. on Jonathan Kaminga. They don't have to really press it. When you have to press the button on a dude you're waiting for or a prospect – like like they had to last year with Ayo Dusumu and like they're gonna have to at the beginning of this year and he's answered the bell. Like it, it is um it's something to watch. I thought he was I know DeMar DeRozan was the best player or had the best performance. I thought the best basketball was played by Ayo Dusumu uh from minute one to the end of that game against the Heat. And he's gonna have to be that because uh it's a lot to put on a young player's head, but you know, Patrick Williams <laughs> out of the ten guys that played he was the 10th most impactful, and that's the fourth pick in the draft from a couple of years ago. Right? Nikola Vucevic, um, they just didn't recognize where he was in the paint, and, and that happened a lot last year, but he's not as forceful as he needs to be in saying, hey, give me the damn ball. Um, so the DeMar DeRozan show is fun, right? And, and Zach being there for three out of the five games or four out of the five, every five games, something like that, is something that they're going to have to adapt to. It's just defensively, can those – can those guys in that group play well enough to make sure you don't have to get 37, you know, in, in certain games from DeMar DeRozan? It's, it, it's a team that, that reached relevancy last year uh, after years of kind of just being stuck in that weird NBA hell of not being bad enough to get a great pick but not being good enough to, for anybody to be scared of. Now, you know, you, you hate to see him sink back into that, but, you know, these injuries and, and the way guys have played – you know, makes you think that this Eastern Conference ain't waiting on you, right? Cleveland's gotten yeah. better. Boston, I think, got better with Brogdon. Um, I think Philadelphia is terrific, especially with Tyrese Maxey ascending the way he is. And Brooklyn, you know, if those three dudes play, them and Milwaukee might be the best two teams in the league, period. So, um, you know, Boston is right there, right? But I think the Bulls just got way too many teams that they got to look up and see uh, for them to get out of a first round safely. Well, hey, they may be better than the Nets because who knows what's going to happen with that situation. Yeah, I mean, we've does, experienced man? that with Kyrie Irving. So, <laughs> hey, before we let you go, before we let you go, Goff. So, I'm wondering how Bulls fans, what Bulls fans thought of Rondo because obviously when he was here, he sort of wore out his welcome. Where yeah. right after he got traded, he literally said that he wasn't playing defense anymore. And look, he got <laughs> he was part of the championship team, but him and Ray Allen had the bad relationship. But he goes to the Bulls, the three alphas, and I. Still, obviously, the Bulls win that series if he doesn't get injured. But did Bulls fans like him? You know, Bulls fans uh, respected him and appreciated him uh, because during that three alphas there, there's a lot of bullshit going on <laughs> where it's it's a, it's a bunch of dudes saying whatever they thought they had to say. And one dude like, wait a minute, though. Like, you know why I like Rajon Rondo? He is the... If you ask a dumb question, you're going to get a dumb answer because I don't have time for dumb shit, guy. Like yeah. every every team 
every once in a while you get like a, a truth teller dropped into it. And I'm not talking about a guy who just says what he has to say to the media, but like a guy who's going to make you see what it really is in your locker room and who's who and what's what. And when Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler tried to pull that move on the young players in this locker room, and Dwayne Wade was like, I thought that's why y'all brought me here. And Rajon Rondo was like, nah, we're not going to do that to these kids. Like, y'all should be playing better too. Like, it, it really made me, and I always had a ton of respect for him before and covering those Celtics teams that had come to the UC. But in that moment, I was like, yo, this is this is all right. Like, every once in a while, you need some professional discomfort. And I, I think he applied that. And, you know, I've had a chance to talk to, you know, Rajan in my time in Atlanta before that and, you know, just cover him throughout the years. Um, you know, we all know he's mercurial, right? We all know that, that Rajan is going to say and do some shit that make you scratch your head. And we also know that he's going he's gonna to tell you the truth in his own Rajan way. And and I think during that time, Bulls fans are just looking for another reason to hate everybody, uh, you know, associated with the organization. So so when Rondo came out with his version of the truth and what he was doing for those young dudes, I think people um, respected it and appreciated it because you know it when you see it. And sometimes people package it differently than you might think and then you get tricked into thinking that. Nah, Rajon Rondo told everybody what it was and it ended up being that. So I think, I think there was an appreciation for him uh, here during his time with the Bulls. And like you said, if he doesn't get hurt, that series is a lot different. Oh, no doubt about that. That is Jason Goff, host of the Full Go, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it, and enjoy Monday. Hey, man, I'll try to be. Hey, anytime you need me, man, and congratulations once again. Welcome, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Jason Goff as we get you ready for the Monday night football game. Cannot wait. And I am feeling very confident after talking to Goff about this game that the Patriots are going to be in a really good position to win this one. All right, we get time for a call. Let's get to that. 617-396-7172. Hi, Brian. I love the show. So after six weeks of this Patriots season, how can you not be extremely optimistic? And I'm not even talking about Bailey Zappi because I think Max Jones should be the quarterback just because Bailey Zappi put up two good weeks doesn't mean that he should be the starter over Mack, who had a great season last year. But listen, the difference that I think between this year and last is that this year you actually have certified weapons. Ramondre Stevenson looks like the absolute top running back in all of football. And receivers, you have um, Devontae Parker, who's a great player. We saw Tyquan Thornton. So how can you not just be extremely pleased about the way this Patriots team is playing? 
Hey, I'm with you, Jonathan. I'm with you. I was saying it last week after the game with James White. I've been saying it all week. This team went from, hey, how much talent do they really have to, holy shit, they have one of the best running backs in the NFL in Ramondre Stevenson. Tyquan Thornton's been really good. The offense is moving the ball. Jacoby Myers even better than he was a season ago, and he was really productive last season. So I'm with you, man. I'm re- and they have a good offensive line. And Matt Patricia has turned out to be over the past three weeks, and I get it, small sample size, like a pretty good play caller. It is stunning, but yeah, I'm very optimistic about the Patriots, and they're going to get over 500, which brings us to our greatest Boston bet of the week, thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Patriots are covering 7.5 against the Chicago Bears. If they don't, we have massive issues with the quarterback, Mac Jones, and that means Bailey Zappi is getting his job back. So if they don't cover that 7.5, I will be absolutely shocked. I know the Patriots aren't this unbelievable team like they were during the Brady era, but they're a lot better than the Chicago Bears. All right, I want to get to a Celtics thought real quick as they get ready for a big weekend. And I was thinking about this the other night, and I was excited a lot about a lot of things after that game. But I believe they're going to be better because of Missoula in two ways. Okay, the first one is this. So what we saw on opening night This team does have a chip on its shoulder. Like, it wasn't manufactured. Like, if you read the Chris Mannix piece, you could tell this team was pissed off, but you wanted to see it, right? And we certainly saw that in that game the other night. You had the post-game comments, too, where they were talking about the scuffle with Joel Embiid. Marcus Smart said he was disrespected as the DPOY. I can't wait to see how many times he said that this season, but I love that type of attitude from Smart. Like, he felt disrespected. Jalen, I love the fact, and we mentioned this the other day, that he went over and he defended Smart, and then right after that, he he said, we're not taking no mess from anybody this year. So I love that attitude these guys have. It is real. It does feel genuine, and that's why I look at the Missoula part of the equation where this was another thing that the Celtics were doubted about, right? Wait, so they don't have Ime Adoka, who was one of the best coaches in the NBA last season, completely turned this team around, turned them into a juggernaut defensively, got Tatum to play at an extremely high level, got Marcus Smart to be the point guard. Well, now they're going to have a 34-year-old coach who some people never heard of before. This is going to be your head coach. So I feel like this is just another thing that they've added to it. So it's another element to motivation, which also you can tell that they really like the guy. The other thing that I was going to mention with Missoula is the strategy, right? Some of the tactical stuff in terms of this team is actually running. We're seeing them get out in transition. I mentioned the fast break points the other day, but you could tell the pace was just so much better. After a missed field goal the other night, 8.86 seconds per possession. That's really good. That would have been better than anybody in the NBA last year. In fact, Milwaukee was at 10.22. If you look at the Celtics last season, they were at 11.42, which was 28th in the NBA. So they weren't running at all last year, and we saw it night one of the NBA season. This team was getting up and down the court. In terms of their transition points the other night, they had 30 of them. The Grizzlies led the NBA at 24.8 transition points last year. Meanwhile, the Celtics were sitting there at 24th at, or excuse me, at 28th at 16.8. So it's a clear different strategy or a different element to the offense from last year to this year. And I believe part of the reason for that is there's no Rob Williams, right? So the Celtics, their identity last year was on the defensive side with the two bigs, which they were exceptional with the two bigs. Their defensive rating, 102.59, which the best defense in the league, the Celtics, was at 106.2. So when those guys were on the court, you couldn't score on the Celtics. But the reality is no matter who your other big is, it's not going to be Robert Williams. And what we saw the other night, they weren't playing two bigs at the same time. They were never playing Al with 
say, Noah Vonley. They were just going with the small ball unit if it was Noah Vonley. At times, you can play Grant at the five. So I think the one thing that I really like about Missoula is he's embracing the offense because of the circumstances they have right now where they have to play that way. And yeah, they may slip a little bit defensively, but that was going to happen anyway without Robert Williams. So why don't you just play your best players, right? There's no reason to force big men onto the floor, play Grant at the five. So I love that they've embraced this small ball thing and getting out and running because they certainly can be better at that than they were a year ago. One other thing that I'm going to keep looking for, the Brogdon Tatum, Jalen Brown minutes, okay? When these guys were on the court together the other night, it was only nine minutes. They had a 166.67 offensive rating, which is, like, incredible, right? I mean, <laughs> no way they're going to keep that up all season, obviously. But they had a 94.12 defensive rating as well. So they were a plus 72.55 net rating. So basically meaning they outscore their opponents by 100, by 72.55 points per 100 possessions. I mean, basically unstoppable. And that's what I thought. Like, when this guy gets on the court with these guys, it's going to be ridiculous. And we saw when Brogdon was with Jalen, when Tatum wasn't on the court, the Celtics had a 127.27 rating in terms of the offense. Now, best team last year, Jazz, 116.2 in terms of their offensive rating. So Jalen having that point guard with him on the second unit when Tatum takes his break, it's just going to be so beneficial for this team going forward. So cannot wait to recap some of these games after the weekend because they have huge games coming up. And I want to see another thing in terms of the attitude with the Celtics that we referenced. They certainly proved it on opening night. Like, we're not taking shit from anybody. We want to prove that we're the best team in the NBA. And they proved it to the Philadelphia 76ers, this, one of the sexy picks to come out of the Eastern Conference. Now Miami. There's no way that that series should have gone Seven games last year. Celtics should have ended that way before, especially with all the injuries that Miami was dealing with. Shouldn't have gone seven games. Go out there and prove you're way better than them. That's what I want to continue to see from the Celtics team. All right, we're going to be back with you on Monday night after, of course, the Monday night football game, the Patriots and the Bears. And James White's going to join us. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast. And we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates.